What's up, Florida State sports fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Null Sports Podcast. Kurt Weiler here with Carter Carls. We have done pretty much all these so far. In fact, all of these, right? Know pretty much about it uh, over Zoom. But we're doing this one in person at the uh, Democrat office downtown Tallahassee. It's good to uh, do this in person with you, Carter. It is great. I love it. Uh, we're kind of cramped in a studio with a bunch of equipment everywhere, yep. but who cares? We're, we're doing it in person. It's good. You know, I, I'm done with the whole, like, virtual stuff it's great that we're all getting back to like in-person interviews and in-person podcasts it feels good it does and we've got uh some fun stuff to talk about we can start at the top uh we're recording this uh friday afternoon uh what about what 16 hours or so a little less than 16 hours after uh jermaine johnson was was taken became the latest uh first round florida florida state draft pick last night uh a little later than, than pretty much everyone thought. I mean, it was a pretty interesting case where he's a guy who I think some people had as high as going fourth overall. Yeah. And he ended up going to the team that had that fourth pick, but he didn't go until 26. The Jets traded up to get him and concluded, I would say, what was regarded as one of the better draft nights, adding a guy who really was seen as a, a anywhere between fourth to 15th overall pick who, who slid in the draft. There are some reasons for it that we can get into, but he found his home. And, uh, I mean, is, is deservedly, from the year he just had, a first-round draft pick. It's funny. When you think about where he finished the end of his season, the end of his career at Florida State, he was probably projected to go around the 26 range. But ever since the end of his season, he just did such a great do- job in the pre-draft process, making a solid impression at the Senior Bowl, putting up 27 uh, reps at, on bench press, um, all those sorts of things, and just every week it seemed like he was climbing a few spots on, on like just percep- perceptually on, on these on these draft boards, and the I think the betting lines were predict- predicting him to be a top ten pick. I think it was like over under was nine and a half, and so you thought well, even if this guy drops, it would probably be in the teens. But to drop to twenty six was definitely a surprise. I think for him to land on the Jets was fascinating because there was reasons there was uh there was buzz about him potentially being picked there fourth overall you could tell just like when you watched the the video of of them celebrating and calling him they were fired up about it they i don't think they thought that they could get him that far back so i think it, it probably ultimately worked out for him but yeah there's a lot of drama that we're gonna cover about just the, the craziness of him falling yeah it's interesting i <laughs> There was one media member in particular who, who kind of talked about his slide. And I say media member. I say almost – I should say it with quotations. It was a media member who was blaming other media members because he probably sees himself more as like an NFL executive type. But he's not. He's a media member who, who talked about – he's like, this, is, this, this Jermaine Johnson slide was a surprise to media because media overhyped him but not to execs. Like this is where he was valued by, by NFL executives. And it's like my, – my whole thing with that is like A – did you not watch him last year with how, how dominant he was game in and game out? I mean, yeah. he, he – Florida State came really close to six wins, probably closer than it had any business doing. And how many games did he almost, almost do enough almost by himself to get them to that sixth win? But I would also say my whole confusion with that is aren't the media mock drafts and all are normally enforced by – what NFL teams are telling them, right? It's not like they're just yeah. making this up or choosing their own things. People have their own big boards normally, but they're also informed often by what they're hearing from the NFL front office types they talk to all day. So that's kind of like a weird oxymoron, kind of like. Well, and you could have said that about so many players. Yeah, you saw so many. You saw Malik Willis go on top ten, and he hasn't been picked yet. You saw uh, Aiden Hutchison for forever being the number one pick, and then all of a sudden it's Trayvon Walker. So these guys acting like they're they know everything. Who are like, oh, we expected this to happen. It's like you don't expect anything to happen in the NFL draft. It just happens because there are trades. I mean, especially last night, one of the crazier NFL drafts in recent memory with all the trades and all the the players being traded with AJ Brown and and Marquise Brown. I mean, that that was pretty crazy too. So um, I, I don't think we can act like. What happened last night was an expected result. No. It, 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 was, it was unfortunate for Jermaine that I think this draft class, especially at the top, doesn't seem like it was regarded especially well. 
There aren't. There isn't that one or two or three quarterbacks you look at. I think they the first time since 2013 a quarterback didn't go in the top ten. Only one win in the first round. Can you pick it to Pittsburgh? And so I mean, it was unfortunate that for for a draft class that isn't regarded especially good, it's a very good edge rusher draft class. I mean, the the top two picks, both those guys, a few other guys as well. In other years, Jermaine could easily be a clear cut number one or number two. Edge rusher. I know he was on some people's boards. I think the Jets said they had him eighth overall on their board. But, it, I mean, it, there were understandable reasons why he may not be ahead of a Trayvon Walker, of an Aiden Hutchinson, of a other guys on that list that I am blanking on right now. Let me, let me run down this real quick. Kayvon Thibodeau. It, yeah. it was a really, really strong guy, group of defensive ends. And so that made it tough. There are other factors that play into it. I, I, get, I mean, you could look at his age. Where he's a guy who was in, in college a long time and took the COVID year to kind of get that extra year. And obviously that is an important thing. Not as important there as at running back or some other places, but it, it's important across the board. I know there was some kind of narrative perpetuated about his like character or that some, some teams yeah. saw him as cocky. I never got that impression from my many conversations with Jermaine Johnson, many times interviewing him. I think he was confident, but I think he towed that line pretty well. I can't speak to obviously how he interacted with teams, but... I, I kind of buck against that trend. I know that, I mean, he instantly became a leader at FSU and not yeah. in a bad way. So there are, there are factors at play. Obviously, that run of receivers uh, hurt him too. Or just like once starting with uh, my Falcons at number eight, it was just like the run of. And that's the other part of the class that's deep. It was a deep receiver class. It was a really good yeah. receiver class. And that, I would say, pushed him back some too. But unfortunate, but I will say – I don't think Jermaine's somebody who is going to be too affected by that. I, I don't even know if he's really necessarily the type to to be motivated by it. I think it's more just a he's where he wanted to be. He was a first-round pick. He bet on himself and won, regardless of how it happened last night. I think you see this sometimes with kids that have transferred a couple times, I feel like. You know, obviously he transferred twice, um, you know, community college and then Georgia, then Florida State. There's always going to be that one guy that bad mouths a kid, you know? And, and you think about Georgia, I mean, this was someone who, if he had he stayed there, he would have been a big contributor. He still probably would have been a day two pick. Uh, and so I imagine the Georgia coaching staff wasn't too pleased when he transferred. And I'm not saying that they said anything, but, I mean, would it surprise you if, if something like that happened? There's, there's always going to be a guy that, that bad mouths a kid in a situation like that, I feel like. So, I mean, that, that wouldn't be surprising to me either. Um, and then as far as just like, if, if you're gonna critique his game, when I talked with Dan Brugler with The Athletic, who's uh, really, uh, I think, one of the more respected guys in the draft industry, he, uh, he basically told me, you know, the case for Jermaine is he has probably the highest floor of any defensive end in this draft. Like you, you like what he can do against the run separates him from everyone else. Like he, he just he is such a complete player. The problem is he's not as like you know elite at like pass rushing as maybe a Kayvon Thibodeau would be. He's not the guy that you know is going to just like get four sacks in a game. They think at the NFL level, and that that's what like experts have been saying. That's what uh, teams have been thinking. And so it's kind of this debate between do you go with the high floor guy who, you know, at bare minimum, he's going to be in the NFL for 10 years. He can be an all pro. He can be this. He can be that. Or do you want to go after a guy like Thibodeau where it's like, oh, this guy's just a freak of nature and he's, he's got some character issues and, you know, we don't know if he cares about football and stuff like that. And like he was hurt for part of last year. But he's a freak, and he's crazy athletic, and when he does play, he's freaking crazy. And so I think that was kind of the bait that was being tossed around. I just think when you have a for sure thing like Jermaine Johnson, that's a guy that should at least go in the teens. I mean, you know for sure he's going to be an impactful guy for you. He's going to come in right away and, and, be, and be great. I think his age can be a plus because he has the experience, and he's already physically built enough to – come in and immediately contribute. If you're if you're picking in the mid-teens range or in the low 20s, you're already kind of a contender. You're already kind of a good NFL team. So I just don't understand at a position that important why you wouldn't 
want to take a guy that you know will for sure be impactful for you. Oh yeah, I, I agree with you because I mean you, 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 I mean yeah, the Kayvon Thibodeau thing, the the fair or not narrative that was thrown against him throughout of like the, I don't know if he really loves football and that yeah. whole talk, and a guy like Trayvon Walker who has so much upside but also feels like he has bust potential that a guy like Jermaine doesn't have, a guy like Aiden Hutchinson doesn't have. I mean I agree with you and it's an interesting fit at the Jets. I mean he's obviously not arriving onto a team that's going to be contending right away. He's not going to be a guy probably playing for a Super Bowl in his first few years. But the opportunities there, when you look at the, the Jets last year, they didn't have anybody with more than six sacks. And one of their two guys with six sacks was Quinton Williams, who plays defensive tackle. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the opportunity will definitely be there for Jermaine. And, uh, I mean, you like that draft class they brought in. I mean, getting three guys at three, three premier positions, a guy like Sauce Gardner, who never gave him a touchdown in college at cornerback, Yep. A, a guy like Garrett Wilson, who, I mean, is was probably – was one of the top probably two. It was him or Drake London felt like the most well-regarded receivers in the class. And then Jermaine, I mean, who I know fell, but is still was well-regarded by quite a few teams, including the Jets. So it's – I mean, he definitely ended a place where he's going to be – was wanted because I know the whole thing last night was the Jets started trying to get him at 15, didn't they? That's when they started yeah. trying to trade up and tried to make that move for him. And yeah. finally at 26, they, uh, they, they were able to trade up and they were able to get him. And it's, uh, it's an interesting spot for him to be sure. Yeah, and I mean, they've got a defensive-minded coach yep. and they're building that defense up. You mentioned Quinn Williams. Now they've got Sauce. I mean, they've got some dudes now on CJ that Mosley. team. CJ Mosley. They, they just need to obviously figure out a quarterback, whether Zach Wilson's the answer, uh, I don't know. But, I mean, they're, they're certainly building something. It looks like they're being less jetsy than they used to be. Well, and I'll also say this, that is a team, we don't need to talk about NFL for too long. Yeah. That's a team that went to multiple AFC championships with Mark Sanchez with a ridiculous defense and with Mark Sanchez at quarterback. You know, it goes to show, it's funny that that team of all teams is where he is. Because it's very true for them. And so it goes to show, I mean, you can you can contend even without that. And he could be a part of uh, of something special there. So, yeah, I mean, congratulations to Jermaine. I mean, he uh, he is the type of guy who, if Mike Novell is here long term, this, this is obviously an important year for Mike Novell coming up. See, Jermaine was only here the one year. He was on campus less than 12 months. But if Mike Novell has success here, Jermaine will have played a big role in that because of his role in flipping the culture, because of his role of kind of – being that leader by example in his time here, and uh, it, it's a well-earned, uh, well-earned spot for him to be that first-round guy. Mike Norvell was at the draft too. He was. He was there. He was there last night in Vegas. It's a, yeah. a, a work trip of sorts, but hey, I'm sure always nice to uh, to make it. How about uh, what kind of place is that for the draft to be? Like your 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 dreams just got made if you're one of those players who was there at the draft. I think 21 guys were there. Not all of them got taken last night, but and you get to be you're in Vegas. Yeah. With with I mean, the with your dreams made. That's uh, something, huh? Your signing bonus, you put it all on black. That's See, but do, do they have their? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like the Austin Powers. I also like to live dangerously. <laughs> no, no, but but yeah, I mean. I, it was a lot of fun. I, I was laughing at the very beginning of the draft when they brought out Derek Carr. Oh, boy. They, they were trying to, like, not get Roger Goodell booed by everyone, and it, it didn't really work. They were like, oh, let's have Ice Cube and Derek Carr, and they, they still booed him. And then Carr's haircut, you saw my tweet. I, it was the biggest, biggest bust of the night. Yeah. But it was a very entertaining draft, and ultimately Jermaine, being the first first-rounder since 2019 for Florida State, He's the most impactful player that Mike Mobile's had here, and he's yep. the, the kind of guy that you build upon. And that, you know, if he can continue to get those kind of players, um, then, you know, he can really build something here for sure. Be interesting. I, I w- if I had to bet now, I'm not sure there will be a first-rounder next year. Who knows? Weird things can happen. I would tend to think, looking at that roster at the moment, I, I don't see a first-rounder in next year's draft probably. Who knows? I wouldn't have probably thought Jermaine would be one this time last year. Yeah. But I do think more guys will get drafted. I think that will be a, a larger number than this year. We can look ahead now to, I mean, the next, the, today and tomorrow, the last six rounds of the draft, obviously, two and three tonight, rounds four through seven tomorrow. I don't think either of us expect any guys tonight. I think there may only be probably no more than two. And I'm not even sure both of them get drafted, taken in the, in the rest of the draft, in Jayshon Corbin and Keir Thomas. I do think Keir Thomas will get drafted. That I was, think I feel better about him too. I agree. I believe Mel Kuyper had him as a fourth rounder. I might, I might be wrong. Wow. I might be wrong. 
But I remember Mel Kuyper was abnormally high for him relative to where I thought he would be. So I, I, I expect him to go that far. Corbin, I think he would have benefited from staying an extra year at Florida State. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, it's tough because my thing is, what would another year really do for him? My thing is, he has shown his skill set. He's shown he can be productive. And running backs are always are the position nowadays that you hear so much about the short shelf life and that like what's the use of a running back over thirty and like once they hit thirty yeah. it's kind of all downhill from there. So I kind of don't blame especially him at that position going after being in college football for four years. He was at A and M for two years. He was here for two years. Yeah. He uh, I mean he had almost thirteen hundred yards, twelve touchdowns over two seasons. Not gaudy numbers, but I think he showed his skill set enough where. He will get a, a, a day three look, or he'll be a priority undrafted free agent. One of the two. Yeah, I think it's tough because I think you want to see a little bit better production out of, guy, out of a guy, um, especially when you have a, a, an injury like he had. That's probably going to be looming over him a little bit. Um, just with running backs, they're so critiqued in so you're many right. ways. And if you're giving a guy – Oh, he only had 600 yards? Like, I, I just think that ha- having that extra, what oh, I, I had 1,000 yards this season, may do something for him. I get it, but I will say, watching 2020 season and then watching 2021, you saw the, like, oh, he he, he yeah. was not all the way healthy when he was playing in 2020. You saw a healthier, more more talented, more himself version of Jay Sean Corbin in 2021, even if he didn't kind of yeah. reach that that whatever benchmark you wanted him to, to reach, you know? Running backs, I, I really don't fault them for any decision they no, make because no. it's like, it's just your shelf life is terrible. Yep. No one values you. Like they run you into the ground and they, they toss you to the curb. It's like yeah. kind of the unfortunate state of running backs in the NFL. Yeah. And so like I think it's becoming more and more common where you're seeing running backs even in high school opt out of their senior year to preserve the body. There you're seeing running backs being recruited and being told, hey, we're gonna keep you. Below 25, below 20 carries so we can, like, you know, that's become a pitch for schools now. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 a fascinating experiment. So, you know, Corbin, while there's a debate there, you can't, you can't fault the kid. I mean, it's running backs, they got to do what's best for them. So, yeah. We can talk about Keir, too. I, I agree with you that I think Keir will come off first. I don't think I knew that he was uh, that highly regarded by Mel Kuyper. But, it, I mean, he has some things working in his favor. Like, like Jermaine is a guy who was in college a long time, wasn't kind of the three and done. I think he this was his sixth year. He played at South Carolina for five years and then came here for year six using that COVID year. Um, it, he is he. I mean, the versatility helps. What that he was able to kind of play end and then he is able to move in and play tackle helps his cause. Kind of like that, I could do multiple positions. He's not going to do the multiple positions as well as like a Trayvon Walker, but it's the same type of thing where he can be a bit of a Swiss Army knife on the line and in certain sets can be that interior guy. It was unfortunate for him. I know he, uh, I think, tweaked his hamstring at, uh, at Pro Day, and I think it kind of kept him from uh, working out for some teams, maybe doing private workouts down the stretch. But I think his game tape, I mean, he really uh, had a really good 2021 season himself. kind of got overshadowed by Jermaine and what Jermaine did, but he was a third-team All-ACC guy, 15 hurries, I think six and a half sacks or something in that neighborhood. And so he, he had a really good season as well and I think showed his uh, – his ability. I mean, I think it's quite possible both carve out NFL careers, and we look back in a few years and we're like, dang, both those guys were on the same, like, yeah. you know, those are the guys who, like, potentially saved Mike Gravel's tenure. So it's uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's uh, – it, 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 it'll be interesting to see where they both go, if they both go, if only one goes, how, how all that uh, shakes out over the uh, – over probably tomorrow, I think we agree. I don't think either of them going today. Although I guess – if Mel has has Kier as a fourth round guy, I guess it's not the question he goes tonight. I hope I'm not making that up. Like I, I think <laughs> I saw that, but I'm not 100 percent positive. I know he at least said he's day three, but um, that's what I seem to recall. Yeah, I, I just think it's uh, how much do South Carolina fans have to hate Florida State taking Kier Thomas and Jamie Robinson and turning them into the players that they've become, or at least you know obviously they were really good before they even came here. Um, We've seen so many transfers come in under Mike Norvell, and I think there has been, you know, a good number of them who have not panned out, but we've also seen a good number of them be extremely impactful. The best players on this team in Mike Norvell's tenure, for the most part, have been transfers. 
And so even if you're hitting on 50% of them, you know, why not? If you, if you can tell me that you're going to get Keir Thomas, Jermaine Johnson, those, those two type of players, every class, but yeah, you're going to have a couple guys who may last a year before transfer into an FCS school or something like that. Like, Sign me up because that's what this roster needs. You need guys that can help turn that culture around, that can show, hey, this is how you become a draft pick. This is how, like, this is what it takes. I, I think that's a, a really big thing for this roster. Here, Thomas, I'm, I'm curious to see how his career plays out. There, there's a debate. Obviously, uh, it's always either versatile or you a tweener, right? There's, there's like, it's either used for you or against you. Yeah. Do you think it'll do you think it'll help him or do you think it'll hurt him a little bit? Yeah, I don't know. I I I, I feel like the the tweener you hear more about a guy who is like not quite a linebacker and not quite a defensive end or not yeah. quite a safety and not quite a linebacker. I think yeah. the ability to play multiple spots on the defensive line could help him. But I agree. I mean, in a lot of settings, he'd be probably too small to, to play inside a ton of the time. He may be able to do it on occasion in three down lineman sets. And, there, I mean, there are some drawbacks. He, uh, he may not have the, uh, the, the speed to be a consistent, like, pass rusher off the edge. He may be kind of more the run-stopper type there. So he may, he, he may not be kind of an every-down lineman. It remains to be seen. But, but could go either way. I'm sure different teams see it different ways. You know, I'm sure some teams see the versatility. I'm sure some teams see the what is his position. So it, uh, it, it, it will be interesting to see how it shakes out. Uh, I should mention, I, I said that, and I, I still don't think there will be any FSU guys, but I, think, I, I don't think Jamie Robinson is a first-round guy, but I'll be interested to see where his stock might be at this time next year. Akeem yeah. Dent, another guy in that conversation, and it would do wonders for FSU here remotely in this conversation, but a, an outside guy who, if he has a great year, you never know, is a Jared Verse. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm picking it, but I'm also not – I think those are the three guys who I'm like, if things really break right for them. And if things break right for them that well, then things probably really broke well for Florida State. Here, here's a wild card for you. Okay. Amari Cooper. He's only a sophomore. Well, I'm just saying by the time he's done. Oh, probably, yeah. I, yeah. I don't think I – w- I would have him on that consideration from his freshman season, yeah. but he's, he, he'll be a 2024 draft guy. Yeah. Otherwise, yes, I agree with you. He would absolutely be a guy two years from now. I think we could be talking about as a first round pick from what we saw yeah. as a freshman. But so let, let's let's think of, um, on the players on the roster, the guys that we think have the potential to be drafted. But let, let's just go down the list. We think Jared Verse for sure, Jamie Robinson, Marion Cooper. I think both the defensive tackles will get drafted in some capacity next year. Yeah, I think yep. Fabian and Coop. Yep. Um, you talking like within the next few years? Yeah. Yeah. Dylan Gibbons? Uh, yeah, he might. Yeah. He might. Caden Lyles. Could. We'll Maybe. see how things break. We'll see how things yeah. uh, Robert Scott. Yeah. And even Darius. Darius, and, yeah. And Maurice, Kate's to a lesser degree. that job first. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, a couple of those receivers. I think Micah, absolutely. Yeah. I think Malik McLean. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how their uh, careers go. Up. Are we saying? Are we saying an early pick or just a pick? Just a pick. I think Michael will be drafted in some capacity. I think. I if, think if what we saw this spring translates. Yeah. If there's kind of any the, receiver that gets drafted on the team, yeah. I think it's Micah. I agree. Um, Although I, I put Malik in that conversation. Yeah. And Winston Wright probably. We'll see what kind of setback that that injury is. But I mean, he yeah. has the production where he he may have been like a one year at FSU and then gone guy yeah. if not for the injury. You know, that probably changes some things. It's super early, but yeah. the early enrollees. I mean, we love what we saw from Sam McCall, yeah. and Zaria Thomas. Uh, the the D linemen out of that group were really good too. I'll throw out a name who, who I think somebody could take a, a late round flyer on. I think Jordan Travis could get drafted. I think he could. I'm not counting on it, but I'm saying it is possible. Think about some of those quarterbacks that get taken. I'm not even saying yeah. he lands on a roster, but yeah, you can tell me you don't think he would be in one of the was it 262 or however many picks it is. Um, I'm interested to see how this year goes for him. With yeah. this is kind of the like in that regard, I put up or shut up year. I feel like for him, you know, like where with better talent around him, if the offensive line is healthy, the receiver room is, is healthy for him. He, you know, he's, he's made an improvement every year. Yep. And I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see. I just don't know if he has, 
the talent around him to have the kind of year to it, it begs the question. The amount, yeah, and also, anytime you're a running quarterback, I feel like there's always this doubt of like, I, oh, is he a receiver? And uh, like, I just feel like there's going to be some of that. There like, will be some of that. I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I think, and I'm not comparing him to him. Don't take me as this. Yeah. Lamar Jackson is the proof in the pudding that it can work. That a guy can. I mean, he's one MVP. You know, so like it is. I, that narrative has changed a little because Lamar was the ultimate guy of like, he's not going to be a quarterback. And yeah. who knows if he's going to be a quarterback even for 15 then, years. Though, but Even then, though, Lamar was going to be a first or second round pick regardless. Yeah, he was a right. Heisman Trophy winner. So Jordan's right. got to do That's why I said I, I'm not comparing yeah. the two, but I'm just saying yeah. that is against the whole narrative. Yeah. Be interesting. I mean, uh, Tatum Bethune, I throw on that list too. There are a few. Sure. I mean, it's an interesting exercise. You probably sit down and do it sometime. Yeah. The fact that there are – so many names on this list, and I will say, so many of them are transfers. Yeah, speaks to the st- uh, further evidence of the roster Michael inherited, and and what he's had to do of building it back up, and how he's had to use the portal. Absolutely. I mean, all the three guys who think could get drafted, portal guys. Yep. Who committed to him too? They weren't even like portal guys he inherited, like Jordan Travis. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, trans- transition classes are a heck of a thing. <laughs> and Florida State's had two of them over the last, like, five years. And that, uh, that hurts. But be interesting to see. Uh, uh, do you give any of the guys who we don't think will get drafted, anyone not that we haven't discussed of those three, any chance to maybe even get, like, a practice squad spot? Do you put Miko Dotson in that conversation? I feel like he's the, the most likely one. Yeah. He, he's a tough situation. Yeah. I, I just – I think it's going to be those two guys. I, I don't think Mackenzie Milton – We'll, I tend to agree. We'll we'll make a roster, but um, I also think he's he's kind of set up, right? Like I think he's a really good business minded kind yep. of guy. He's obviously got the Warpath thing going on. Dreamfield, I, like even bigger yeah. than Warpath. He's a yeah. part of. He's a he's like a co founder yeah. of Dreamfield. Yeah, right. So I don't think it ending for him will be a huge deal. I don't think he's going to be fighting for it uh, that spot. I was going to say, he's not just going to give up, but I hear yeah. what you're saying, where it's not going to be like that. There's I mean, nothing else I could do. The desperation, I feel like you sometimes see with people, you know? Yeah. And he's already proven yeah. all that he needs to prove. Like, what he was able to do last year, the fact that he could even walk again. He got, he, could... he got that Notre Dame moment. It wasn't a win, yeah. but, I mean, he finished that comeback against a top-10 team in his first game back and yeah. kind of got the, like, you almost wish that was the last game you played because that would be like the fairytale ending. You know, obviously it wasn't and the rest of the season happened, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there anyone that you think may have a chance? I think Miko would be the only one who I could see just because, I mean, obviously he was never really healthy here and it uh, was tough because, I mean, he's a guy who led FBS and interceptions at FAU in 2019. He has that film, the, the bench press number. I don't know how much that matters in the scheme of things, especially for a DB, but it's impressive. I mean, it speaks to his strength. Uh, he's an interesting one who I think could be a priority UDFA, but that's that's probably it. I I wouldn't put Andrew Parchment in that consideration, or Jordan Wilson, or I think it was Devontae Love Taylor. No, Brooks, Emmett Rice. Uh, no, probably Emmett would be the only one I would maybe consider. But Emmett to me was the ultimate. Like it's interesting. I don't know what his spot would be because like the linebacker room, you actually feel pretty good about right now. Yeah. But he's the ultimate like come back like you probably should have come back like Leonard Warner did and he's gonna have a year he's gonna play in some capacity defensive end if he's healthy so yeah. we'll uh, we'll touch on more football soon but we'll we'll cover the rest of the draft too we'll talk about how the uh, final few rounds shake out uh, next time we uh, we do this let's flip now uh, it's been a, a newsworthy week across the across the Florida State realm really uh, Monday while we were in the office doing our like weekly meeting stuff news. Uh, Broke. We kind of heard shortly before it came down that uh, the Florida State soccer head coaching search was uh, was over, and Tennessee coach Brian Penske is uh, headed to Tallahassee. He got in, I think, Monday night, met with the team. I know he's going to have an introductory press conference at some point over the next uh, within the next week or so, I think. And uh, I know he's kind of hit the ground running here, got some uh, some big shoes to fill. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's unfair to like compare anyone to Gregorian. Like it, it's. It was going to be hard whoever they were going to name, but... You weren't going to get someone with his resume. You kind of have to start there. Like, you may look at what he did at at Tennessee and be like, really? Him? And what I would say to you is, there is one Mark Krikorian. 
And if that's the standard you're holding him to, and some people are going to hold him to that standard, fair or not, and I'm sure Brian Penske has to understand that. But, yeah, it, that can't be the standard. If that's the standard, you're going to be disappointed. And that's not Brian Penske's fault. That is your fault. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. And, and you know, Penske, I mean, you, you have to consider what he did with Tennessee's program. Mm-hmm. Being the SEC coach of the year last year, made an Elite Eight, made a, made a Sweet 16. I mean, he, like, you kind of have to, like, also measure the pulse of the fan base at Tennessee and what they felt about it. They're they're kind of distraught. They're like, yeah. oh man, this this is the worst. Like they, Florida State went out and got an SEC coach who was coach of the year, and and was able to to swing him over here. And so I, I I don't think that's like an easy thing to do with especially the money Tennessee can has at its disposal with its eight million dollar uh, quarterback. But uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, like that's that's. We also have to talk about that element. We do. Being an SEC guy with, with all the money that they have, that's that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, I, and I mean, obviously all the stuff came out about uh, the the emails and all and the, uh, the the money that Michael Corian wanted. I think Florida State now has a coach who can be effective and I think also maybe understands his place in the hierarchy a little more. Is that the right way to say it? Of like, you know, like I think knows that like, Football butters my bread. You know, like, and you would hope, coming from a place like Tennessee, you would hope he understands that because that is definitely the case also at Tennessee. Like, it is going to be here. It's not to say, I mean, Michael Offord talking to me was pretty adamant about, like, our our financial commitment to soccer is not changing. It's not going to be, oh, well, we don't have this world-class coach anymore, so we're going to start giving the program less money. No, that's not happening. But you you, you have to hope that. And I think – I think – you, you would hope that that conversation happened during the process, during that search. I'm just like saying that to him of like, you're going to get a great level of commitment. Yeah. But, you know, and so the interesting tidbit in all this, I'll, I'll credit uh, Jerry Coots of the Osceola. Um, he, uh, so Dave Hart at Tennessee yeah. hired Mark Krikorian yep. at, to Florida State, left, ended up at Tennessee, hired Brian Penske to Tennessee upon the recommendation of. Drum roll, please. Mark Krikorian, when he was at Florida State, he kind of said, like, who in the world do you trust? And Mark Krikorian mentioned Brian Penske at the time. Hired him from – he was the head coach at Maryland, where he had a ridiculous amount of success at Maryland. So uh, that's, I mean, uh, a pretty strong recommendation right there, I would say, in terms of, I mean, he was an up-and-comer then and is a little more established now. And, and Florida State's, I mean, bringing in the guy. And I know he's hit the ground running. Uh, the interesting thing, I know uh, a few players not, – not a ton – a few players – have put their names in the portal just solely because if they want to play somewhere this fall, I know their names have to be in by May 1st, this Sunday. It's coming up as that deadline. You don't have to have your new place by then. You just have to be in the portal by then. I guess to tell, like, I guess that is, is it to, like, tell the coaches, like, hey, you know you're going to have these players, basically, I assume? I think so, yeah. So, it, it's so a busy first week. Yeah, <laughs> he has started having those conversations because, I mean, it's, uh, it, if he is able to really get the core of that group back, because really didn't lose, lost Jalen Howell, lost uh, Gianna Mitchell, lost Gabby Carl. And those are the only three seniors. Like, if you can persuade everybody to stay, you're bringing back a really strong core that will contend for another national title, no matter who the coach is. I don't say that, yeah. but with Brian Penske. I do think, though, it, it's, it is unfair, but there will be pressure his first year 100%. a lot of pressure and I think he understands that you're you're taking over a national championship team a team that is put so much resources into soccer with the amount of money they're paying for their coach and so and then obviously there's like a whole controversy of everything that happened with Krikorian and because of all that I think there's going to be an expectation and a closer eye on like how much are we putting resources into soccer is is what happened going to cost this program being on the mountaintop? Is that gonna is that gonna make them tumble a little bit? That will be the question the fan base will probably ask. And again, it, it's not always fair because it's not like Brian Penske had anything to do with that. But um, certainly the expectations are really high. I mean, it, <laughs> you think about like Mac Jones on the Patriots. It's like it's not fair that he gets compared to Brady, but that's just 
what he inherited. And so you're going to have to like uh, achieve at a high level, uh, but also the fan base has to realize like, hey, it, it may not be a national championship season next year. It may not. I mean, it, they have the, the pieces to, to, to potentially do it, but it's not like it's a, it's a given. And so maybe temper with little expectations and uh, give this guy time to recruit the players he wants and, and build the, the formula that, that he thinks works. Because obviously he's, he's a different coach than Mark Corian and maybe take some time for his fingerprints to, to show up. No, I think you're right, but at the same time, I think he's got some pretty good, if you want to use the fingerprints thing, he's got some pretty good clay to work with left on that roster. Yeah. He can convince everybody, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, not to take away from Mark Krikorian, because he, having watched and covered his team for, for quite a few years, quite the tactician. Yeah. Quite the tactician. Also an incredible recruiter who built a roster that is, as of now, has been left behind for whoever was going to be next. I mean, it is it is a definite big expectations, but big support situation for Brian Penske. It will be interesting to see this fall, how he handles that. I, I can't imagine it happens too often that uh, a, a team defending a national championship is doing so with a new coach and not even a coach who like left for a different job, but yeah, a, a coach who just left. So an interesting situation. Uh, staying over there in the, uh, in the complex from moving from the Seminole soccer field to uh, Joanne Graff field. We can talk about uh, it, it's kind of getting too crunch time for the FSU softball team, and all they keep doing is just steady uh, playing ranked teams and and beating ranked teams. Uh, two game series with Oklahoma State this weekend. Uh, played the first game last night. They beat them in nine innings, two one. They are now twelve and two this season against ranked teams. Both those losses came at home in the same series of Virginia Tech. And they've had some extra inning wins too. Right? Yeah, I think they're uh, four and two in extra innings. Yeah. And they've been like dramatic games. Too. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've been... <laughs> Cardiac kids. I mean, it's been impressive. I wasn't able to watch the full game, just, just following the draft at the time, but, you know, watching the highlights, keep, keeping up with, with it and everything. I mean, some of those plays that they're able to make as a defense, like Sidney Sherrill at third base and Kaylee Mudd, I mean, that was just... That's got to be fun to watch. Like, I, I always think, like, in football and basketball, like sometimes, you know, uh, defense is more exciting than offense, right? Like you get a big stop on third down, that can sometimes be more exciting than like a 30-yard pass. With softball, it, it kind of felt like that a little bit. You would just hear in the crowd and everything where it's like, yeah, it hits cool, but look what Sidney Sherrill did at third base. Like that doesn't happen often. That, you see a lot of singles in your day, but you don't see a lot of pickoffs. At, at, or not a pickoff, but you know what I mean. Getting, getting a, someone out at third base, uh, that was really exciting, really cool, and obviously gave them the juice to, to win that game. Yeah, I mean, this, this series is literally, coming into the weekend, was the matchup of Florida State, the best fielding percentage team in the country, yeah. and Oklahoma State, the second best fielding percentage team in the country. And you saw those plays by Sidney Sherrill, two by Kaylee Mudge in the seventh, just play after play, and... and Maybe this speaks to how, how broken my, my brain is a little from seeing some pretty bad Florida State baseball errors over the years. <laughs> uh, you just kind of keep waiting for that mistake to happen, and it doesn't often for that team. They just make the right play time and time, play in and play out. And then you look at Oklahoma State where, obviously, Florida State in the, to win in the ninth inning put, puts a, a walk and a single, put first and second with one out. Then they get a pair of consecutive Oklahoma State errors from another really good fielding team who just doesn't do it in that moment, and it costs them the game. They lose because of those back-to-back errors after they hadn't had an error all game. So, I mean, it's a, a – the Cardiac Kids was kind of the moniker around that, that 2018 FSU team, the team the first to win the NCAA championship after the pair of AIAW championships in the 80s. But, uh, I mean, the Cardiac Kids really is just like – it's become like a program mantra more than that team mantra under Lonnie Alameda. I mean, just time and time again, I know Amanda Scarborough – with, who calls a lot of games for ESPN. Last night tweeted, like, every time this team's, this Florida State team's on national TV, they play games like this. Just every time yeah. they play the most intense games, and far more often than not, it feels like they win them. I mean, it's, yeah. just, it's just what they do. They have uh, one more against Oklahoma State uh, tonight at 6 on ESPNU, and then uh, Florida comes to town. I was pretty astounded writing the story today. They're looking for their first season sweep, regular season sweep of Florida since 2006. Wow. <laughs> 
that's wild to think about. But yeah. And you, 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 I'm not sure you bet against them. Florida's a really good team. Florida yeah. could absolutely come here and beat them. But there's just something about that team where you just when when the stage is its biggest, they just like shine in the spotlight. And you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, but it's just really good that the schedule is as hard as it is. You know, when you're when you're a team that's been at the mountaintop like Florida State. When you've been at when you've been a team, you, you won a you've won a World Series. You, you went to it last year. You don't want to just skate by all year and never be challenged. And you know the fact that the ACC is better this year with with teams like Virginia Tech and Duke, and then the fact that they've scheduled so many good out of conference games from you know Oklahoma State to to Florida to the tournament they played earlier in the year. Um, they're getting tested week after week. And that's huge because if you're just coasting the whole season, you're not gonna be challenged, you're not gonna be ready for those moments, those intense moments that come later on. And, and I talked with Sat, uh, uh, Kat Sandercock about this a couple weeks ago. She said, you know, losing's almost good for this team because you get so used to winning that sometimes if, if you get so used to winning, you can um, kind of overlook the mistakes you make, you know, oh, we did this wrong, but hey, we won the game, like who cares, right? Well, for them, they, they obviously haven't treated it that way. When they lost to Virginia Tech, they saw it as a good thing. They, they see it as a, hey, we're not a perfect team. We're gonna lose a game. Here's how we respond to that. You know, here's how we prevent that from happening going forward. And just when you think about the postseason, this is a team that's not just been there before, but they're preparing themselves to, you know, continue to be successful on that stage. Yeah, and that's it's new. I mean, they they played some tough teams in the regular season, even. In the, but the last few years with the ACC growing has really helped them. I mean, you look at the yeah. 2017 team. It's not a knock on that team. That team was unbelievable. The fact that that team didn't even make the World Series is a travesty. They lost to LSU in the Super Regional at home. But that team went 24-0 in the ACC. It was just a – that's just what they did. And, and yes, that's impressive, but I think this team is far suited from, like you said, the the better comp- competition uh, year in and and year out. I'm starting to look. Obviously, I mean, there are now what I think after this next week, last week of the regular season. So kind of two yeah. weeks will be tournament time, and I mean we're really looking at uh, that time of year for uh, softball, and uh, it seems pretty clear their their entire path to OKC is going to go through. Home. I mean, they've become pretty consistently a top five team. I don't know if they've dropped out of the top five all year, honestly. I think they may have started the year just inside the top five, but they peaked at two. They never got to one because Oklahoma has been doing Oklahoma things. They've been uh, quite impressive. They did yeah. finally lose. I'll mention that again. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be – I mean, it feels like they could be as high as the number two overall seed, maybe in that three or four range. And uh, anything can happen. Weird things happen in the postseason, but – with how that team is at home, with how that team is in general, with how that team is in clutch moments, I, it just feels like there's no reason to to bet against them kind of making that return trip. And Sydney Sherrill, I know I read the story with her this week, getting kind of that final trip to OKC near home, which would I know mean a lot to her. Yeah, right now they're ranked fourth, and they beat number three UCLA. Uh, Bama is at five. Yep, beat them. Six Oak State. Beat them. And then, you know, you're, you're not going to pass OU, unfortunately. No. But Virginia Tech, um, you we'll see what happens in the ACC tournament. And, yeah, you have a chance to, yeah, for sure. Right now, they're third in the ACC, though. That's, that's kind of wild to think about. Because Duke is, is, like, one game ahead of them. And there's obviously Virginia Tech. But I think that, I think that ACC tournament will be a nice tune-up, too. Because you'd imagine they're going to play Virginia Tech and Duke again. So... Yeah, it's, it's, it's good that they're challenging, that they're getting challenged. And not just in the ACC, but at the very beginning of the season. Just right away, they, they really went at it. So, yeah, it's, it's postseason time. We're, we're almost there. They'll have Florida, then NC State, and then May 11th, starting the ACC tournament. So, exciting times. No doubt. Um, maybe not as exciting times the last week. The FSU baseball team will uh, switch. We'll go from the clay to the uh, dirt, if you will. Um, it's, I mean, I don't think I'm overly concerned about the FSU baseball team. They obviously, going up and losing a series at Clemson, 
is unfortunate when you're leading all three of those games going into the seventh inning. And you have a chance. I mean, in theory, you should at least win two of the three games you're doing that. You have a decent chance at a sweep. Just like you've positioned yourself. You've Starting pitch has been good enough. Hitting has had come through in enough moments where you were positioned to win and can't finish it in two of the three. Obviously, the bullpen was much maligned early in the year, but that wasn't the case here. It was, uh, I mean, it was fielding mistakes. Eight errors in three games is, uh, is yeah. not going to cut it. Hasn't been the M.O. of this team. I'm not saying they're a great fielding team, but they haven't been this bad, and that was just a, a really bad weekend for them. Yeah. Well, did they had a lead in every game. Going into going the seventh inning. The seventh inning, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's just, I mean. Can't do it. It felt like they were really turning a corner, too. They had won five straight games, all against teams that had, were ranked in at least a poll. And, you know, to sweep a team like Louisville, that was extremely impressive. Yep. Uh, to beat Florida when they're basically saying, oh, yeah, Carson Montgomery, like, you're not starting anymore. <laughs> like, they had to just on the fly pick a pitcher, and and uh, and they ended up winning that game 5 nothing. They showed them out. And uh, so it really seemed like – you know, the Georgia Southern was was a dramatic win. It seemed like they were turning a corner, and then yeah, it was a flop at Clemson. Um, baseball is a funny sport where it, there's going to be ebbs and flows. But I think when you think about where you want this team to be, a team that's ebb and flowed really all year, you want them to finish on the right note. You want to see a guy like Alex Terrell finish hot. You don't want to see that guy striking out. Uh, like he can at times. You don't want to see the Sunday starter becoming a question. I know they're mixing it up this weekend with with Bryce Hubbard going Sunday and because he uh, was sick, right? Yeah, I think, I think he was he sick earlier in the week or something. I think it was yeah. a sickness or something to throw off his routine. Yeah, and so I think Carson Montgomery can be that guy in the Sunday spot, and I think that uh, I think that Russ Dunn getting back will be huge for this team uh, if he can even do something even if it can be out of the bullpen uh but these these last couple weeks are going to be critical because it's going to it's going to tell you like where is this team at because they're so hot and cold there'll be some games where you're like wow this offense they're just they have 15 strikeouts what's going on or oh my gosh this this infield is messing it all up uh but in in this case you know you want to see some of the hot and cold guys getting that hot streak. I, I wrote about Jordan Carrion. He was a guy who was cold, 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 cold. And then all of a sudden, it all clicked for him, and he's playing really well right now. So you just – baseball is all about are you hot and cold. For this team, unfortunately, they're very hot and cold. Yeah. You want them to be hot at the right time. So these last few weeks will be huge. I mean, just about everything is still in front of this team in theory. I, I'm not sure – it would take a crazy run – them to really get in conversation for a top eight seed and kind of be hosting all the way through yeah. but they could absolutely still host a regional oh, yeah. that is not off the table for them their rpi is still in pretty good shape regardless of their yeah. struggles and they still have a few huge opportunities in front of them i mean I, I feel like we say this every week it's a big series this weekend they got a top 20 team coming to town i know tcu is as high as seven in 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 some polls and for the longest time we saw i mean they'd play the mount st mary's of the world or the pacifics in this like break from acc series it would feel like a like late season like chance to catch your breath that's not what this is this is a real challenge and florida state and take a two or three even if it's at home would be a huge boost of their rpi against that uh that tcu team i mean miami's still on the docket and miami has like all of a sudden become like one of the best teams in the country like yeah. it's 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 been pretty impressive to see what they've done, that might be a word that uh, that some Florida State fans like me using. But uh, <laughs> it has been. I mean, it's a, it's something to behold for sure. And so you, you have those two left on the schedule. Um, Boston College and North Carolina, less so. But, I mean, road always helps you. Those aren't as – I think in a way it helps that your, your tougher series are at home and your easier series are on the road because they yeah. just, it, 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 should, it could, in theory – Help you out. I mean, here we are. Florida State's 21 in RPI. They were 23 coming into the week. They dropped a couple spots. They didn't play a midweek game this week because of finals. Yeah. Some other teams did that, I guess, hurt them a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's still right there for them. I mean, they, they'll they be top 15 in RPI, potentially, if they win two out of three yeah. this weekend. So, yeah. they could still host. But there's and, and we've seen this team, when it clicks, what it can do. We saw it in that five-game winning streak that we're not far at all removed from. But, uh yeah. Had, didn't see it at Clemson, and it, it, 
it's just going to add more fuel to the fire of a certain segment of the fan base if we don't see it again this weekend. So, so some math here, okay? And I know math's not my thing, so I'm oh going to force you to do some math. Well, I can do that, I think. Let's just predict a scenario where Florida State does get a regional. What will they have to do? Do they just win every series that's left? Do they get a, you know, just get one out of three on TCU and then win the other series or one out of three against Miami and, and, and win the other series that they have left? Like, what, what will it take, you think, to get to a point where they can host a regional? Um, I don't think they have to win every series. I think winning this series and winning the Miami series, and, well, it's tough because losing the Boston College North Carolina series, especially the Boston College series, would kind of be a, a step in the wrong direction of all the work you're doing. Um, it's a good question. I mean, if you're in the 15-ish range in RPI, I think you feel good about it because if the conference you're in and with the, the spot you would be in, I mean, the, the smaller conference teams have to kind of be higher in the RPI to account for the conference they're playing in. Um, I think, let's see. Like, let's think. So what, how six, many wins are they at now? What's the record? They're at 24 and 15. So out of six games against TCU and Miami, do you got to go four and two? Is that, is that I don't think you – And then – or three and three and then sweep one of – I think if you get to like 35 wins. 35. So that would mean – How many regular season games are left? Not counting ACC tournament. How many regular season games are left? They, they have like 12 are, weekend games and then some midweekers mixed there's in. There's 16 games left. So it would be 11 and 5. And then ACC tournament. So you're probably going to have – you're going to have – you get at least two games in the ACC tournament. And you yeah. get a third and maybe fourth if you, if you win. So, I mean, they're guaranteed at least 18 more games. And they, 11 – I think 11 and 7 over that span would put them in that conversation. I think that's about the number. It would help if – more of them came against the the you got one more against Florida. A road win at Florida would be a big help, or the yeah. TCU or Miami's of the bunch. But I think Miami's more important than TCU. It is. So I think like if you lose two of the games this weekend, but you win two of the games against Miami, especially since it's closer to the end of the season and you're ending on a better note, right? I think that will be more important so like TCU is very important because that's a really good team and great opportunity but like if you I would rather win the Miami series than win the TCU especially because it reflects on your conference seed and all that kind of stuff too for sure so be an interesting uh, be an interesting uh, last few weeks I know uh, some fans I'm sure who, who were kind of bought back in probably took one weekend for them to kind of question that again which is unfortunate but <laughs> The nature of the beast somewhat, but uh, they can definitely get a lot of people right back on the bandwagon if they, they take at least two this weekend. Um, I feel like we, we'd be remiss if we didn't close out uh, taking advantage of uh, an opportunity to troll Miami. Am I, am I wrong, <laughs> Carter? I feel like you got to do it when you get the chance. I mean, sometimes it feels like you're desperately taking shots. I mean, this one just, like, lined itself up with the uh, the Miami billionaire, the Miami, what's John Ruiz, Mr. Life, Life Wallet. Talking about, oh, we signed this basketball free agent for $800,000 over the next two years. Just bragging about breaking the rules. Thinking that, oh, the NCAA is not going to do anything about it. And, uh, no, the NCAA may not do anything about it. But the players on your team might. Because Isaiah Wong uh, didn't take too kindly to that. He, uh, last night, uh, we were both doing stuff when all this stuff was coming down with. Isaiah Wong has been a really good player for Miami the last few years. Really was key on their Elite Eight, eight, elite eight run this year. Um, kind of said, hey, uh, I'm going to go somewhere else if you're not going to up my NIL deal. And it's, uh, it is the, uh, a new side effect of, I mean, this stuff had to used to happen before behind closed doors. I'm not naive enough yeah. to say this wasn't happening before, but there wasn't someone on Twitter bragging about, Oh, I, I paid this much yeah. like this. And it's like, it's so nice to flaunt your wealth. And now he kind of looks like, I don't know if you watch, uh, I think you should leave. I tweeted it last night. He kind of looks oh, like yeah. the hot dog guy that we're all trying to find the guy who did this. And it's like, Oh, it's, it's you, John Ruiz. Well, what's so weird is, like, Isaiah Wong declared for the draft earlier this week. But he, he, maintained, he maintained his eligibility. He maintained his eligibility, but it's like, what is going on here? To, to me, that says that he probably is mostly just trying to get feedback. Yeah. And isn't done playing college basketball. But I'm sure there's also a bit of, like, if I'm going to come back. Yeah. Maybe the feedback he's using as leverage. Yeah. Hey, I'm a, I'm a second-round guy, early second round. Yeah. You know, I don't know. but Or... 
Or maybe he is he is trying to yeah he's trying to use the I could go to the NBA as leverage for yeah I mean you're right it's it, there are a whole bunch of factors at play. The interesting thing I think so many people talked about coming into this like is there going to be infighting within the locker room of like oh if so and so has a bunch of nil deals and makes so much money. And we haven't seen that. We haven't seen it between, like, teammates because those guys, that bond, I think, supersedes that for the most part. What's going to be new with that is these transfer guys. Isaiah Wong has no ties to uh, who's the guy from Kansas, who's the guy that Kansas State they brought in who, who did all this. He Nigel Pack, yeah. He's yeah. not friends with him. Like, yeah. they're not friends, and so there's definitely some resentment there. And you're going to see it, especially with how openly, like, the courting of transfers is happening now. Yeah. Yeah, Nigel Pack reportedly $800,000 and a new car. Over two years. Over two years to, to play there. He's a, he's a great player. Sure. It's, it's also like, wow, okay. And so, ultimately, though, big picture, I think fans, they see that and they, they, they freak out. And it's like, oh, Isaiah Wong, like, and they blame him. Or, oh, you know, this is Miami's fault for, for paying Nigel Pack how much they paid or whatever. Only this is an NCAA's fault. Like, if you want to blame somebody for creating this environment where a kid can use leverage to force a guy to pay him more, or, oh, I'm transferring, NCAA could have taken action. They could have set their own rules. They could have made their own parameters for how all this NIL stuff worked, but they just for so long said, oh, no, we're not going to do this. And what happened? That They were undercut and the rules were made without their input and so it was like it's just something that could have been so avoided and for fans that are wanting to blame someone to me it's it's all the NCAA I mean uh, Isaiah Wong for all we know he's making a smart business decision yeah. if you if you know that you can make more money why not the problem though is what I'm nervous about is where is a line drawn because what stops a kid after having a 30-point game, saying, wow, I had a 30-point game. I think I should get more benefits from that. I think I should get paid more from that. There's so many can of worms that once you open Pandora's box, it's like nothing is nothing is out of the, out of the question. And that's why I worry is just where's the line drawn? And that was like the first instance where we saw like a whoa, like uh, in college basketball. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see. What more comes out of this? The NCAA really is the ultimate. Like, we're all trying to find the guy who did this man in the hot dogs costume. Like, it, I, I said about John Ruiz, it probably does fit. You're right, even more for the NCAA. Mark Emmert, obviously, news came down this week. The NCAA president, Mark Emmert, is uh, yeah. stepping away here soon. He's retiring. I don't know if he's retiring or just leaving the job. One of the two. Going into hiding. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Witness protection program. <laughs> you wonder, though, if, like, his handling, and because obviously it reflects on him, of the implementation of NIL is fast-tracking that. Is fast-tracking how quickly he's he's moving on, being told to move on, what have you. He wasn't especially well-liked before. It's not like this ruined, like a really promising NCAA presidency. I think he has made mistakes throughout his time. It's, like, it's an unforgiving job. Let's start there. It is not, it is a thankless job yeah. that, uh, but, but I think this is kind of the cherry on top of a not-so-great Sunday of his tenure, of how he's handled this. And yeah, being so hands-off, and letting this happen. And I, I don't want to speak for you. I think we're both in favor of, and there's been so much good that's come of NIL with Dylan Gibbons, with just not even the charity yeah. side of it, but with players being able to pay, being paid for their name, image, and likeness. Yeah. The other side of that is this, I mean, call it what you will, it's pay for play. Yeah. The deal with Nigel Pack was not a like, oh, even if you don't come here, we're going to give you this money. No, it was contingent on him going to Miami, yeah. which makes it pay for play. However you want to, like, defend it to yourself, Miami fans, whatever. That's yeah. what it is. You, you can like it all day. You can like how, how brazen John Reese about, is it about it on Twitter. But this yeah. is the other side of that. And I'm interested to see, I mean, with how brazen he's been, how quickly is that going to change the rules? You have to imagine the new NCAA president whenever that happens. I know I think Emmert's staying till as long as I think it was in June 2023. Yeah. But yeah. I imagine they might rush him out sooner. It was like the June yeah. 2023 or until they find my replacement. And I somehow doubt yeah. they'll, they'll take 16 or 14 months to find his replacement. So yeah. I'm inter- I, I feel like it could be an easy win for the incoming president, whoever that may be, to standardize this better, to really be forceful with the Supreme Court of like, let's get a national yeah. standard that everyone has to appeal to or they get in trouble. The, the problem is the, the Supreme Court 
has just dunked on the NCAA constantly over this. They, they're basically like, uh, no, you guys don't have any argument here. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is the only uh, the infrastructure in, in the world that, or, or not the world, but there's the only infrastructure at this scale that exploits its, you know, employees, quote unquote, at this level. Like, they, that's what kind of the narrative was. So now that the NCAA is going, hey, can we get this fixed? <laughs> I don't know if, if that's going to work. I know there are some lawmakers trying to make it happen. I know both yeah. at Florida and at the national level. Yeah. I think people are realizing because, like, the problem is here at Florida, schools aren't allowed to be involved. Yeah. I, I mean, you make changes on a smaller scale, but yes. changing the whole thing, like, in a dramatic way, I just don't know if that's happening. I just feel like one or the other. Either, either schools have to be all able to be involved or not able to be involved. Yeah. And, I mean, let's be real. Maybe this a whole... salary cap, too. I mean, I don't know if that's <laughs> something that could be possible. I don't know. I don't think. See, I don't think they could do a salary cap as long as they're not the schools aren't paying players because right. you're like by by instituting a salary cap, you'd be saying, oh yeah, these are employees. Which yeah. the whole thing all along with the NCAA has been like, no, they're not employees. No, yeah. they just we give them education and they give us football money. You know, like so. Uh, no, I don't know if a salary cap can happen, but something has to be figured out because yeah. things as they currently are, even before this blew up in Miami's face last night, no. Miami is the only people who likes how John Ruiz is on Twitter about this. And he's the, he is the most prominent example. Probably also helps that he's like so located to me and kind of like a adjacent beat. But I'm sure there are other people who are pretty openly talking about this. I mean, obviously you talked about it earlier, Tennessee and the $8 million quarterback. They weren't brazen about that, but the athletic reported about, I don't remember his name offhand. He's got a very like long name. I know. Is it Nico or I'm not sure who it was to be honest. He was was the Tennessee quarterback. Uh, Oh, look at him. Oh, I thought you said the reporter. Yeah. No, no, the $8 million Nico, quarterback. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, oh, I'm not going to try and pronounce it. not going to butcher it. But, um, oh, I, I am a lever. I'm going to go with that. I figured, I figured you would have <laughs> the, the great grass of Polynesian names or names of that yeah. sort from your, from your time at Notre Dame. That yeah. was like... I, I had a... To show you how bad my <laughs> pronunciation was, I one time was on the radio show, and this woman from Hawaii, great, great person reached out to me and was like, hey, you've been kind of butchering these names. Let me help you out. Hey. She sent me audio recordings of how to pronounce it. And it was like such a, a, a fun little thing because it, it helped me learn the names, but I still don't know how to... I, I'm still trying to pronounce Tungo Vailoa. So yeah, I did. I pronounced it well, though. Right? Hey. So, here we go. But yeah, ultimately, NIL, like, it's... There's so many pointing fingers. And I, my ultimate opinion is these schools are just taking advantage of the rules that were written for them or, or, or not written for them. So Tennessee, I mean, yeah, you can say, wow, that's a huge risk, but I can't call them a cheater. Or I can't call them a, like, uh, like, a, a, like, yeah, basically cheating. They and, are, they're doing what they're allowed to do yeah. and players that want to take these deals, they're doing them. what's right for them. And so, I can't fault them. It's all really the NCAA to me. So, it's uh, it, it is something that's going to probably take years to resolve, which is unfortunate because we've already seen so many headaches kind of within the first what ten months or so of the NIL yeah. era, and it has brought so much good as we talked about. I mean, yeah. not even outside of the the charitable things that Dylan Gibbons and plenty of others have done. I mean, just the fact that athletes have been able to make money off of shirts with their names on them and all that. I mean, they put in so much work; they deserve that. Yeah. But there's a, a lot of new sports. Yes. Game. Yes. We've seen it with softball. We've yeah. seen it with soccer. Both those teams have like team wide deals because of, yeah. I mean, success they've had. Yeah. And we've even seen like we talk about the locker room uh, stuff that it can create, like the problems. I think a lot of players have, for certain deals, like shared their money with yes. players. Now, that's not the, like it's, what's going to happen everywhere, but. No. You've seen some like really good things. You've seen walk-ons get NIL deals. The kid at Kansas who scored the game-winning two-point conversion at Texas, one of my favorite games of last year, uh, <laughs> he got an Applebee's NIL deal. That was incredible. You know, always go for two. That was one of the highlights of the season. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of good that comes of it. But yeah, this Isaiah Wong thing, you, you see this and you go, oh no, what what are we headed for? Where is this going? So. I totally get when people are concerned when 
things like that happen. He, he said he's uh, entering the transfer portal today. John Ruiz, I know, said that he's like, I'm sorry he feels that way, but I don't renegotiate deals. So uh, it would seem he's going to enter the transfer portal today unless something happened behind the scenes or unless he was bluffing. It would seem he's about to go in the transfer portal. It would be uh, interesting how if that shakes out. If he went out. to Florida State, what would the reaction be from uh, Florida fans? State would take him. With, with No, from Miami fans. Uh, <laughs> I would hope anger at John Ruiz. Because yeah. that's where it should be directed. It should not be directed at Isaiah Wong. Yeah. I mean, they, they probably would be directed at Isaiah Wong. Yeah. Because fans are not always the most rational. Sorry to those of you listening. Some of you probably are, but there are plenty who are not. I've been on the message boards. I see what it's like on there. I do not envy those, my friends, who, who have to monitor them or moderate them. <laughs> um, I think that, that wraps us up. We've, we've covered a whole, a whole bunch of uh, stuff. I think we've, we've talked about a, a lot of stuff. We've, we've covered a lot of it lately. I think we've... Both had a lot of really strong feature stories lately. I'd encourage you to go read at, uh, at Tallahassee.com, Tallsports.com. Follow us on Twitter. We always uh, share them there or on our Facebook if that's your preferred uh, social media or on our Instagram if that's your preferred social media. We're not on TikTok yet. I, I wouldn't count on it. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But, uh, yeah, follow us on, on, on Twitter. It's always greatly appreciated. Uh, reviewing the pod, giving us five stars and whatever you whatever service you listen to is, uh, is greatly appreciated. For, uh, for Carter, I'm Kurt. We'll talk to you next time.